the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everybody. Dennis Prager and Julie Hartman, the Dennis and Julie podcast. Shalom. Do you know, just want you to know, how many times, I would say virtually every trip I make around the country, people come over and say they enjoy the podcast. And sometimes I even, when they say, and I really love Julie, I have them record record the message and then send it to you you know someone wrote to me and they said i recently met dennis at a speech and he recorded me giving you julie a message did you get it and i knew exactly who it was and i said yes it's very it's so sweet i want you to get it and i'll save them oh how could you not so i i came up immediately my dear listener viewer julie does not have a clue as to what I'm going to open with. And you I never you, do. You, that's true. And you could have been the opener. It could very well have been you. And I didn't even have this in mind until five minutes ago. Oh, no. Yeah. You sh- oh, oh, no is an appropriate response. I think I know what it's about. Now you do. Now I think you do when you, because I affirmed oh, no. It's a very interesting question, actually. I'm going to pose it on on my male-female hour. So I told Julie about 10 minutes ago, she really looked good. And her reaction was, what was it? I'm kind? Yes. Right, kind. In other words, out of my mind, but kind. Is that... Essentially, it was. I thought it was. It was very sweet of you no, to say. I, right, I know that. I know you thought that, but that is why you think I said it, not because it's true. Well, you heard blind. I did, and hear I actually blind. thought that was better. <laughs> okay, so this is a very interesting question. There are aspects of men that women cannot understand, and there are aspects of women that men cannot understand. I, 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 I think I have a better chance of understanding this about women than uh, male sexuality, for example, is understandable to women. It's it just, you, you take our word for it, but it's not understandable. But I'm not going to get into that. So, do you know any women your age? And you know some attractive girls. I, I, Many. I've, I've, met, I've met them. I've met some. Do any of them think they're 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 good looking? I don't know. We don't talk about it. We never talk about it actually. That's okay, so let me think. Obviously men don't talk to each other about whether they're good looking every day. Talk about whether girls but, are good looking. Yes, that's correct. But given 
See, now you've put me on another track. I'm going to come back to my track, but I want to talk about that for a second. Given how important looks is to most uh, females, and the assumption is you're really close with your girlfriends, Mm -hmm. why would that not be a subject? Well, we talk about, you know, sometimes my friends will say, oh, gosh, I have to work out. I have to, you know, I have to lose weight. Or they'll say, "I, I really need to go shopping for work clothes. Or So we'll talk about vanity in that aspect, but we won't talk about whether we find ourselves attractive. I would find that to be a weird conversation. It's just I've never said to my friend, hey, do you find yourself to be attractive? I compliment my friends all the time. And they compliment me. Yeah, yeah. But you you all think it's just to be nice. (laughs) Yes. Well, and that's not unfounded because we've discussed this on the show. In the United States... A common form of greeting is, how are you? And you really don't care how the person is. You're really not asking, it's how are you? It's a way of saying you? hello. It's a way of saying hello. Like in, you know, in Arabic, they do peace be upon you, upon you be peace. We don't really have that. In Russia, right. they say be healthy. In the United States, we don't have that counterpart. So we, we do this like, how are you? Good. How are you? There's a counterpart with women. It's, oh, you look so cute. Oh, my God, love that dress. Oh, my God, love your dress. No, you look so cute. And then you move on. So I hear that a lot. Yes. Between women. Does the woman receiving the statement believe it? No, no, because... Oh, that's in... See, this is news to me. Well, wow. And I don't mean that's... No, no, no. It's very interesting that that's news to you because I thought it's so obvious. It's really in the realm of how are you. Oh, I think think it's actually... Wait. I, I think it's actually worse. I think it's no. more disingenuous because with yeah, you, you yeah, could have someone Yeah, you're right because who's... they're not saying anything about the person. They're asking... Wait, 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 wait. I'm really blown away. I'm, I'm I, blown away that you're blown away. Uh, that, no, no, fair. It, it just shows the gulf between understanding of the two sexes. Right. So I hear this all the time because I'm at so many events where I speak, you know, banquets, let's say. Yeah. And so, oh my God, I, you look so terrific in that dress or that dress is so beautiful. You will say that. or you're, No, you, no, not me. Oh, you'll no, hear I'll be arrested. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I would, but uh, yeah, you would. Uh, yeah, no, of course I would. But that uh, that was a joke. I'd be arrested. Somebody else would be arrested. No. So when when woman A says this to woman B, woman B does not believe woman A means it. It depends on how it's said, but I. But most of the time, women B does not believe women A. Okay. So then tell me, what? How could there be truth to the? The, the commonly stated sentiment. You'll add really, or you'll kind of say it. You'll, wait, you'll wait, wait, wait. How can there be truth? No, no, this, I want to finish this. How can there be truth to the commonly stated sentiment that women dress for women? I don't understand. Yes, if women dress for women, then they must care what the other woman thinks about how she looks. They do. Then, then why do you say that she doesn't believe uh, woman B doesn't believe woman A? Because it's so commonly said. It's like, how are you? Like women, and I even notice that I do this, and I and I try in everything that I say and do to be, to be genuine. genuine and truthful. Right. And I even find myself because it's such a female thing that when you see a woman, I go, oh my, you look so pretty, and then I'm thinking, 
And by the way, it's not that I necessarily think they don't look pretty, but I'm thinking, was I actually struck by their beauty or was I struck by that top? Or am I just saying it because that's what women say? And most of the time it falls into the second category. I'm just saying it. So it's both true that women dress for women and that women don't believe when another woman compliments them because these compliments are thrown around so frivolously. I didn't think that there was more news in the male female <laughs> realm. That's but this is news. Wow. Because I and I feel stupid now because I hear it all the time at these banquets that I attend, mm-hmm. for example. And um uh, so what am I thinking? So I'm trying to so what do I think when I hear woman A say this yes, to woman B. Yes, yes, what do you think? So I am thinking that woman B, the one being complimented, is feels really good that woman A... No, oh, Dennis, my gosh, no. No. It, it's so... Well, a lot of women listening will, will probably agree with me, and if you don't, Please, please speak up. I, I would be very interested to, to hear your responses, as always. But I, I don't think so. I think they just think it's BS. It's another form of how are you. Now, you know what's really awkward? I can tell you this as a woman. When someone says to you, Julie, love that dress. You can't just say thank you. You can't go, thank you. That's, that's, that's implying, and I hate your dress, and you look like a troll. You have to come back with a, oh, but you're, I mean, you look so great, and your, your hair, it's, your you earrings, know, your the, makeup. You know what? I, it, I'm actually saddened to hear this. I feel silly being saddened like I'm a child. Why are, why are you saddened? Uh, I, I wanted woman B to feel good. Well, you know, with with many of my close friends, I can really tell if they're being genuine. And it's interesting. I'll, I'll try to observe this going forward. When it's with a woman you don't know very well, you always do that exchange. And you know it's just an exchange yes, like, know. how are you? Now, I thought you were asking this question earlier. What if 10 women say it to you at a banquet? It, it really it, depends on their tone. You know You know how you know a woman is genuine? And this is what I, I thought you were asking this question, so I said it a few minutes ago, but it didn't make sense. If she's a stranger. No, no. If she's a stranger, you're more likely to have that meaningless exchange because you don't, you're trying to fill the space. You know a woman is being genuine by the, by the tone and if they repeat it. If they go, oh, you know, if there's a certain genuine tone that you suspect, and if they say it twice, like, I like that dress, no, really – Almost like they're like, that was the compliment. The preceding sentence was the throwaway compliment. Have you but now I'm of really this telling you. This discussion? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, of course. It's par for the course of being a female. So Sean says in my earphones, so you're correct that woman A is not being genuine, therefore woman B is correct in not taking it seriously. Yeah. So it's exactly like, how are you? We know they yes. don't care. Yes, you're not going to go, actually, my dog died and I'm depressed. How are you? You're not. You're just going to go, good. How are you? Good. Do you say this to uh, women? Well, I've actually, I've really tried to work on it. The answer is yes. And it's so, 
I know I keep saying it's like saying how are you it's just so part of the exchange that you don't even realize that you're doing it but I'm trying to work on being really precise in everything including how are you when I go to a grocery store I try to say it's nice to see you or I'll go wow it's it's raining in LA who who could have thought you know I try to say something else because I yeah, don't think I, it's genuine I, to I, ask I, how are now you now that you mentioned it I don't do the how are you much either it's it's a charade and so yeah. I'm but, but 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 back to the women so here's an I interesting do do thing so he, here's an interesting one on occasion I have said to a man for that's a really good looking tie and he knows I mean it Mm-hmm. No, no man ventures. <laughs> I like your tie or your suit to be nice. Right. It, it, it doesn't occur to us. So, if we say it, there's not a superiority inferiority issue. No, it's just different. It's just male female. If we say it to a guy, we, it's clear we meant it. By the way, <laughs> I once said it to a guy at a speech I gave. I really love this tie. And he thought you were hitting on him. No. Oh. He gave me the tie. Oh. That's so sweet. It was so sweet. The guy That's ended so up the whole sweet. evening with no tie on. Oh, I, I felt awful. It, w- it was a great. But you tie. took it. Yeah. What am I going to do? Seriously, I, I refuse to take it. Yeah, you could say, "Please, it's your tie." Yeah, sir. I did. Believe me. And and he, no, 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 no. I really, I love you, Dennis. I love you. This is the least I could do. What am I going to say? So, so that it's just. It's a classic example of a really dramatic male-female difference. So is there a counterpart in male land of the meaningless, you look so Banter. cute, no, you look so cute? No, so it's not about looks. They're, they're, well, of Because course. it's not that important to men. Just as you so. say, you have this line that is so brilliant, and I, I didn't realize it until you said it. If a guy actually thinks another guy looks good, he'll rib that. He'll go, oh, well, you, you look like crap today, you know. If a woman, if you walk, oh in- no, no, that's an example of we insult men we like. Yes. women do not insult. Women oh, you they would like. never go. Well, you look like crap. Oh, yo, no, it's inconceivable. You, the, inconceivable. Yes. If I went to a guy <laughs> I love so at, at a banquet, I guess got to tell you, Jerry, without question, you're the ugliest man here. The guy would crack up. You could never and say then that give to me a, a woman. Oh no, it, it's inconceivable. The, By the closest way, friends. When you're in one of your debates with whoever the heck that says that men and women are, are the same, oh bring my, that yeah. up. Bring seriously, bring right. that up oh, as an example. There's so many, of yeah, course, uh, but yeah, right. that's actually a women pretty good find one. Things and uh, so are so is there a male counterpart of the meaningless I'm banter? I'm trying to think of that. Other than how are you, which is universal, it's not male. So among men, it's an interesting question you posed. Among men, our counterpoint to what's really significant, and I know people say, well, that's sexist. Women think about how they look and men think about you know their work. It's, it's, if that's sexist, how is that then sexist? reality is sexist. I, you know what? Leftism is a rebellion against reality. It is... Because the ch- they're all children, and they don't like the harsh parts of reality. Yep. Okay. Looks are more important in the human race to to, to heterosexuals. Female looks are more important than male looks. And to gays, gay men 
or uh, or their look is more important. That's just the way that's the way life works. But so it's interesting. Now that I think of it, I I began by saying, "Do you, with girlfriends, talk about how you think you look?" And you said, "No." We talk about if if there's something that needs to be changed, uh-huh. but you will never hear a woman that goes, "I love well, I you, love my oh, body right so, now. Well, I love so, this dress." Would a okay? I want. I don't want to lose my track, but I want to get. I want to ask you. So, if a woman were going to get some plastic surgery, would she tell her friends? Oh, that's. I mean, yeah, actually, yes. I have a friend that just got a nose job, and she told me so. Did you think she needed one? No, of course not. It was ridiculous. That's interesting. Actually, I have two, and both of them didn't. Actually, um, well, there's no way for the audience to know, but I don't mean to expose one of them. But one of them already had one. She didn't like it, so she got a second one. Okay, so men, the, the most sensitive area in men's lives is uh, their professional success. That, that's the equivalent of, of, of looks mm-hmm. in a woman. I'm not saying it doesn't matter how men look or it doesn't matter of how course. women are. You have to, you have to read a, a list of boiler, boilerplate nonsense. I know, okay. I know. <laughs> um, it's true. So it is very, very unlikely that a bunch of guys, although I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's very unlikely. Whereas I do talk to, look, I talk about everything to my close male friends because I don't know what friendship is if you have to hide things. But I don't think it, I'm the norm or my, my friend's relationship with me is the norm. But uh, there is no equivalent to, God, you look great in that dress, to, hey, I hear you're doing great at, at, at you know, you got a great income this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no, there's no equivalent. Mm-hmm. Income oh. is so sensitive to men that my father, who was a CPA, certified public accountant, my father had a lot of. Uh, he was a thinker, my father, and I remember him saying often, Dennis, being these men's accountants. I might as well be their psychiatrist. Once you know a man's income, he will open up about everything else. His sex life, his love life. Wow. Is he, is he faithful? Uh, are his children doing all right? And he was right. It's like that's the last secret. Mm. What is your income? That's really interesting. It is interesting. So I have another – it's so funny because I, I – this weekend was meeting with a few friends from college who were passing through LA and I had a friend from high school and we all had dinner and it was great. And the entire dinner conversation was actually about male, female differences. And we didn't bring up any of the look stuff, but I, there were two things that we brought up that I wanted to share today. The first is plans, the way that females go about plans versus men. And the second one is professional competitiveness. We've talked about that a bit on Dennis and Julie because I say, and I mean it, I am so happy I work with men. I would not want a female, I would not prefer to have a female boss. If I, if I am lucky enough to have a female boss, that's wonderful. 
God yeah, knows, no, obviously, but, but but blindly, blindly, not even a question. And my friends were saying because they are not the lucky in the same way I am. They work around females, and they were saying how vicious these females are, how competitive. So I want to talk about that. But first, plans. Maybe there's more of a tolerance and a frequency of BS among females than men, which is perhaps why we have that meaningless, you look so cute, you look so cute exchange. But also with making plans, I've noticed, and maybe it's just my age, but I think it's females my age, struggle to commit to plans or tell someone if the plans have changed. For instance, this weekend, we were at the beach and- Who's we? My friends. We were at the beach. Um, females. And there was another girl who I didn't know, but one of it was my friend's friend. Let's call her Jane. And my friend was going to meet up with Jane, but she was with me at the beach and she was having fun with me at the beach. And the plans were with Jane were kind of loose. And literally for 30 minutes, we were talking about, she was like, how do I tell Jane that I'm having fun at the beach and I want to meet with her later? And I'm like, tell Jane you're having fun at the beach and you want to meet with her later. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But then my friend, and I'm not trying to pick on my friend, this is universal among women. I actually have sometimes fallen into this trap. There's something like we're afraid the the female's going to get offended. We're afraid the female's going to think that we don't want to be their friend. But we're afraid to, like, tell the truth with plans. And so it's a really common thing among females to write, we may stay at the beach, but maybe we could meet up later. Like the word may is kind of seen as softening the blow. Instead of saying, we are staying at the beach, we are not leaving the beach, can we please meet up later? It's, it's, it's easier, it's, light, it's a lighter touch to say we may stay at the beach. And the other person knows that that means that you okay, are staying so at the beach. Does that make sense? Uh, totally. If you're right... That means that women walk on eggshells with women. Yes, we do. Right. Now, I'm blessed with my friends. so do men. Oh, with women. Yes. Mm. It's so funny because I'm sure a leftist listening to this would think that we're we're so sexist. No, no, no. That's their way of saying you have told the truth about life that is painful. I will reject it. All leftists are children. Children cannot grow up. You mean the hypothetical listener who thinks we're sexist? That's, yes, yeah. that's a leftist. Right. I'm not talking liberals. I'm talking leftists. Right. Wherein they don't ask, is it true? They ask, does it sound bad? Yes. So if true. If it sounds bad, that is all that matters to a leftist. So true. Well said. But I, I've, I've just note, like, we, the, the word may is... But, the, I, but, but I want to get to the eggshells. I think women need to know this. That And it, it's part of their nature. They're more easily offended. A guy who's yes, easily offended is not true. considered masculine. And that's why the word may is used and why it's not because you're because the other woman may go, oh, this person, this person chose someone else over me or this person doesn't want to so see me. So you were me. at the beach with your girlfriends. Yes. Obviously, you were all in swimsuits. Yes. Right. Are you comparing each other to yourselves? In our heads, we are, but we would never say so out loud. No, no, God knows. That's why I said it to yourselves. Oh, yeah, I have of course, no doubt. Of course, of course. So, how many it's girls? Difficult to admit, how, but how it's many, true. Yeah. Well, that's the joy of talking to you is that we can talk real. 
Uh, lucky, ha- I, I'm unlucky. I have all these gorgeous, skinny friends, and I walk out in my swimsuit, and I'm like, oh god. Which is, by the way, the original. Lord help me. That was the original topic that I was going to talk about. We got to get to that still. All my friends are so damn skinny. And skinny is the criterion. Well, yes. Fascinating. Now, I, I would, I really think the. I mean, if I'm speaking of my personal preference, I like to see like a really toned woman. I think that's the, what I would want to be, and that's the ideal for, for just my preference. If I see like a not not toned in the sense like she looks masculine, no, but I know, toned, of course. but but so, toned in yes, a feminine I totally, way. Yeah, I get it. That, but of course, when you see you know another skinny woman walking down the beach with her skinny legs, you're like, I need to go hide in the sand forever. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop at the pillow. He also created the Giza Dream bed sheets. These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for our overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year. For a limited time, you'll receive 50% off of the Giza Dream Sheets. Marking price is down as low as $29.98, depending on the size of the pillow. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square and use the promo code Hartman. There you'll find not only this great offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0, the mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-566-6745 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Hartman. Okay, so that really, it's perfect segue to my original point when you said uh, you're, you're kind when I said you really look good today. Which everybody watching agrees with me. No, please. no, 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 no! Don't okay. react because it's going to be it's going to be useless. Uh, I, I live with this with my wife, uh, whom, whom you know is, is is a beautiful woman. She really is. Yeah, uh, but but she won't come on the air. Right. She won't be uh, filmed. Uh, right. Uh, um, right. Or f- every photograph, hideous, deleted, hideous, deleted, hideous, deleted. Now she part of it is. Her, her father did a job on her, but right. he was not a healthy man. But part of it is is many females, not all by any means. Uh, I wish, I, I joke about this with her, it's too bad I did not write down all of her deflections of my compliments over the years. They are hilarious, and they're genuine. They're completely genuine. Well, uh it's a dark room or the lighting is flattering or I'm or, glad you or, think so. I'm, oh, I'm glad you think so is the ultimate. That's like saying, you know, honey, I met some extraterrestrials the other day. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> it, it, it would be, it, it would be in, in, in that realm. The, is this built in to women not to think, even if they are attractive, that they are. I don't are. know. I don't think it's built into to every woman. But but we are very hard on ourselves about our looks. And so I think, I think with a lot of women, it's the case. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, that's yeah. clear. But there's no way, apparently, because I'm, I'm a pretty persuasive man, 
but I have made no headway with my wife. Here is an irony, though, and every woman listening should, should remember this. When she sees pictures of herself in her 20s. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. Then she says, oh. I, I wasn't that bad. When I look at photos of myself in high school. Oh, when my God. That I'm is like, sick. Oh, we're into, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> sickness alert. <laughs> it's true, though. I'm, I'm, I'm really being honest here. High I look school. at photos from and high school and I think. Great? Yes. I'm like, oh, so skinny. Because I was playing water polo all the time. Skinny. And I was so toned. And my, I didn't, you know. The, wrinkle, the wrinkles are not an issue right now. But I do look back and I think – I look at my body and I miss that. But at the time, I thought I was so fat. To Claire, I just want people to know because it makes me – I don't have an eating disorder. Well, you don't. I know that. As I often say, even just if I wanted – Just look at Julie with cheese puffs. Yes, exactly. Even if I wanted one, I, could, I couldn't. Right. That's Because I love food so much. And, I, and you know what's interesting? I, and I really, really want to make this clear because I'm hard on myself about my looks – and I do think that you're being being nice and trying to make me feel good and trying to, you know, just be kind when you say certain things. I don't think I look like a dog. You know, I, I, myself, in other words, I have I have very high self-esteem about my, my intellect and my work ethic and my non-physical characteristics. I have reasonable self-esteem about my physical characteristics. But um, I don't want people to think that I do anything unhealthy no no I I really don't and I and I've never ever and I and I and I count myself as lucky because I know a lot of women that that do have eating disorders and and do have body dysmorphia I've never had that I've never even tried to have an eating disorder or an exercise exercise disorder and I think that's nature and that's luck I've just I've never I've never had that temptation it's a different subject uh, but I, I'm just curious. It may, may take a minute, may take more. I mean, there is a serious percentage of, of young girls who, th- who think they're boys. I know. Do you, do you have any explanation for that? Yes, I think that, that it's cool. I mean, my high school, I went to an all-girls high school, and it is... I've been out for five years. We just had the five-year reunion that I did not attend, by the way, because I cannot endorse what that school has become. You can't imagine how different the, the school is now from the one that I went to five years ago. 75% this is according to, to girls who still go there with whom I speak. 75% roughly of any given grade is either gay, trans, or bi. They allow you to retake tests. In some classes, homework doesn't count. In some classes, participation doesn't count because it's equity to, you know, you can't expect people to participate if they don't want to participate. They have a service dog at the school. They have, um, like, safe space or a meditation. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's honestly nuts. And the school I went to was so hard and so rigorous and so exacting. We could not have imagined any of these things. It shows you the rapidity with which society changes. But to answer your question... It's very cool at my school, my high school, to be bi. It was cool in college to be bi. It's it's like it's like a new fad. It's cool to get tattoos. It's cool to have piercings. It's cool to kind of look a little grungy. That's just one of the new and and it's cool to be to to be LGBTQ. That's one component. Another component is that pe- children are actively being proselytized. 
This is not about tolerance. What the left says and trans you know, activists say is all we want is tolerance. And when we're teaching kids in school about gender fluidity. They don't even say that anymore. Respect. Yes, but this. But the point is, this is what we need to identify. This is not tolerance. This is not respect. This is trying to make converts. In the 60s in American public schools, there was this policy that if s- students wrote with their left hand, the teacher would, would get them mm-hmm. to write with their right hand. And you know what? Over time, people realized that that was wrong. How is what they are doing now any different from teach from? From what people did in the right, 60s. Because you're, just as you were naturally a lefty, you're naturally a girl. You're naturally a girl. You're naturally a boy. You're naturally straight. And they're trying to go, no, 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 no. You think you're this, but we're going to convert you to this. So it's... it's, it's Well, they don't say we'll convert you. They say the true you right. is not... Is not what right, you but that are is conversion. That is, and that's why the no, left no, is religious. Yeah. That is no different than being so I have another question a missionary for you and that, converting. That has nothing to do with this. Sure. On this, I really, really am interested. I mean, I'm always interested whenever I ask you a question. But what I mean is by saying really interested, I don't know what you'll say. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by really interested. I, I knew I had to, to clarify myself because it implies I'm not really interested when I ask you other questions. Right. Okay. I'll... You'll know where I'm coming from by the question, but I'll still sure. amplify on it after the question. In five years, let alone ten, at, as, at the rate things are going, it, it's not about LGBTQ. Oh, oh, I said uh, that's what I thought it was. Completely, I, know, okay. I knew that when you nodded. Mm. <laughs> Gosh, I you feel, can read my mind. I can because I knew you couldn't know what I'm asking. Got it. Okay. Do you think... That a degree from an Ivy League school will be as prestigious five or ten years from now as today, or as five years ago. No, but I don't think it's because of. Well, I was going to say I don't think it's because of wokeism, but it that may be a component. But but the pro, but every school is becoming woke. So it's not like the Ivy Leagues are unique in their woke deterioration. It's not woke. It, it partially woke is. T- my question comes from the uh, the uh, affirmative action, whether it's legal or not. Here, United Airlines announced it's saving fifty percent of its flight school piloting pilot training to women and minorities. If the, when the public knows that, are they going to assume five, ten years from now that every pilot they meet is the same quality as they assume today when they meet a pilot? Of course not. It's not possible because it isn't. If you're not chosen on the basis of flying ability but, uh, but race or sex, then how, how can it be the same quality? It's not possible. Mm-hmm. It's not the criteria. I think you're right. I think I think part of the reason why it won't be as prestigious in a few years is because it's turning into admissions, and not just at Ivy League schools, at many colleges, and in jobs, too. There, it's turning into just these cesspools where merit is not the primary, primary criteria, let alone... Criterion. Criterion, thank you. Let alone any... It, I think there will come a day where literally merit does not matter. I think we're already seeing that day. And so, yes, I, I, 
it's not going to be prestigious anymore. Oh, it's to, already, to by the way, Goldman it has already happened to me. If I hear you went to Princeton, it is as unimpressive or impressive, if you will, as as you went to Montana State. Oh, gosh, you know what's so sad about I, that? I, 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 by the way, I would I would take a lie detector test. I assume nothing positive about you if you went to Princeton. I still think only one, I would say, and this is going to end too, Harvard. I, I will acknowledge that because Harvard could take anybody it wants, and that very few schools can say that. Maybe MIT is a possibility as well, but, but that's because it's mostly STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. But uh, any other Ivy League school, I, I, it's worse than that. I assume I went to Columbia. I assume if you go to Columbia, you are a fool. I assume if you teach at Columbia, you are a fool. And I know there are exceptions. There were some great teachers and some great students. But that's my assumption. Just like, you know, if a guy in, in uh, if a guy comes to my door and he's dressed in a tuxedo versus he looks grungy, I make assumption that the guy with the tuxedo doesn't want to rob me. Maybe wrong, but we all make assumptions. I assume if you're at an Ivy League school today, you don't think clearly. You know what's so sad? I totally understand where you're coming from and that it's not impressive anymore to you when you meet someone from one of these schools. That is so sad. You know how hard I work to get into Harvard? Well, I said hard. Well, hard. Yes. No, I know. But but that's going to end too. You are not as impressed by an Ivy League graduate because of the, it sounds like the political component where you think that you just said you don't, that you don't think they, they think clearly. That is true when I would be judging a graduate. But also I think there's this component because a, a lot of people in this country are on the left, so they're not going to judge on that criterion. I think the reason why it's going to be less prestigious is because of affirmative action gone wild where well that, i said it that was my right, original right one. it's not gonna you're not gonna think that the person actually is ac- may not be academically impressive or it's just that they are of a certain race or of a certain sexual identification background it's that's sad and you know what that does that makes white students who are graduates of those universities look particularly impressive. That's right. That's it has the, the irony. opposite. That is that the is, irony. Yes, that is correct. Because people are going to meet a white person who went to Harvard right. oh, and go, wow. And by the way, I'm, I get this a lot. Uh, absolutely. When I meet people, you yeah. know, they, and I say, you know, they ask me and they say I right. went to Harvard. They go, oh my, are you a legacy? No. Right. Did you get recruited as an athlete? Are you no. LGBTQ? Are you LGBTQ? No. Right. Are, are you half are you, Uzbek? Yeah, exactly. Are you part Native American? No. Though people lie about that on their applications all the time. Right. All the time. They're called pretendians. Pretendians? I love yeah. that. Well, there are pretend uh, blackians and there are pretend Asians. Yes, are, uh, that's so right. Many. Well, actually not Asian. Not Asian because um, – it's actually you're discriminated against as a nation oh, applying yeah, to college. But you, you hear my point. That is the irony. White students are going to be seen as that's more impressive. Right. That's right. Because they're well, actually judged on their merit. I have said all of my 40 years of broadcasting, so that's a long time. I have said, I have said the following from the beginning when affirmative action, the idea even arose. Mm-hmm. I said, I believe blacks deserve affirmative action given – 
the past. However, I'm opposed to it because it will hurt blacks. Mm. Which I heard nobody else speak very... that way. I acknowledge the left-wing argument or liberal, they deserve it. Correct. It doesn't mean it's good for you. Right. Deserve and good for are not synonymous. And I gave the reason. I said, when I was a kid, I, I, I vividly recall this as a kid, I would meet a black doctor. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy must be really impressive because he had to overcome a lot. Yeah. To to be to go to medical school, graduate medical school as a black. Because sad, sad fact of life. Now, I, as a result of affirmative action, not I, everybody, including other blacks, will say, will think, did he get into Princeton because he's so accomplished or because he's black? By the way, then I've, so listen, you'll love this because I, that's the beauty of a talk show. So people react, and I've learned so much, I always say from listeners. They say, well, Dennis, why don't you say the same thing about a legacy student? You know, parents went right. to, to the same school and the grandparents. I say, I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, There's one me. difference, though. Legacy students don't wear a sign, legacy student. Blacks wear a sign, black, the color of their skin. So we don't know who the legacy student is. But if we know, that's exactly what we assume. Did you get in because of you are so terrific or because your parents went and gave a lot of money to, 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 to Harvard? Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's exactly right. They have only confirmed my argument. Yep. Well, I think what you just said is really honest and, and a very, very good argument. They deserve it. But that doesn't mean it's going to end up being good. And I mean, if you read the book Mismatch, if you read Tom Sowell's book on affirmative action, it is clear that it actually harms Mm -hmm. blacks who are mismatched or put in a school that is not in, in, you know, conjunction with their academic prowess. And then they end up dropping out at higher rates, whatever. But, you know, the other thing I, I never hear people talking about with this affirmative action argument. I hate this focus on college admissions. Okay. If we really want to give equal educational opportunities and help people who have been historically been discriminated against and are not, you know, in a socioeconomic position to give their kids the best opportunities, that starts earlier than college. I don't want to say by college it's too late, but you you're, you know, 75% of your story is already your 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 kind of educational story, if you will, is already written by the time you're applying to college. That's what when people are like, oh, my God, affirmative action overturning is, you know, black students are never going to get. No, this starts this starts in grade school. This starts with cleaning up our defective public schools. And I I wish all of the focus on affirmative action would would go towards those early years, because that's what really is going to help students get set up for their educational future, and it will make it more likely that they will be in the position to get into a good college without affirmative action. Well, it drives the, me the, crazy. The, the biggest help would be school choice. Well, of course. The biggest help would be, oh, I don't know, teaching actual subjects a, like math having, and having, English. Having two parents. Having two parents, that's right. Lot, lot, yes, exactly. Well, you know, I I think a lot about this college admissions thing because I think I've talked about it on this show. You, There are so many people who base their entire identity 
their entire worth as an individual, as a parent, on what school they or their children go to. I actually think parents are more so focused on it than than the students themselves. Well, the students are because the parents are. Well, exactly. Your, your meaning in life is to get into a good college. Good, the, good, quote unquote, because most of them are all, almost all are crappy, but uh, a prestigious college. By the way, Ann Coulter did a piece uh, this this past week showing some of the courses you could take at Harvard. Oh, no. It was embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I know. I was really, I have to say, I, I had a good experience there, but I was Queer really... African literature. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> now, I have no doubt it exists. And it it may even be interesting but when you think that the kid at Harvard taking a queer African literature course is not taking a course in something else by definition. Mm-hmm. Now, people say, well, that's racist and homophobic. I hear left-wing voices in my brain all the time because I know that them so well. That must not be well. fun. No. It doesn't, has no effect. What it does is prepare me to debate right. them. So here, uh, let me let me give an example that would be closer to home, and would. Uh, how about this, queer, North African Jewish literature? All right, I'm a Jew, so I'm taking my my own minority status. Would they give a, a course in queer North African Jewish literature? Let's say they did. I wouldn't think it was an important course. So that that's uh, it's a very small s- substratum of, of of a population. Also, as we talked about when I came back from mm-hmm. Berlin, we were, or maybe it was before I went to Berlin, and I was telling you about the Holocaust. Remember, we did that episode where I, I listed five questions. Uh, what does Nazi stand for? What uh, what country was Hitler born in? What were the dates of World War II? And I said, I don't think the average history Harvard graduate or insert, you know, name of other Ivy League university could answer mm-hmm. all five of these questions. What I argued in that episode is there needs to be standing required courses. If you are a history major at Harvard, you have to take the history of World War II, the history of 20th century communist regimes and founding, you know, documents 101. But there, but that's the problem. And you know what? Then if you want to go take queer African-American Jewish gypsy, you know, studies in 13th century Guatemalan highlands, go, have, have at it. Roma. What? They don't say gypsy anymore. They oh, say Roma. by the way, what is a gypsy? These are, uh, they're called Roma. They're, I assume, because they're Romanian, but I'm not certain of that. And it's a substratum of that population. I don't know if they're ethnically consistent. Uh, I don't know much about them, but they they sort of wander 
as opposed to living in, I think, in their own cities. And it's a troubled group, generally speaking. And, and, they are rela- and, and, like, and Hitler uh, tried to wipe them out. I mean, right. it, my, my heart goes out to them. I'm, uh, so what I said is not a negative, but it's if you anyone denying that. Yeah, we're getting a definition. Okay, Merriam-Webster, yeah? A member of a traditionally itinerant, yeah, itinerant. That's why I said there's no fixed city or country. I remember seeing them Wait, in Paris. Wait, originated in northern India? And now chiefly in Europe? It doesn't say where, though. Okay, fine. They roam, yeah. Okay, anyway, that is what it is. I, I shouldn't have corrected you because we got out to this. No, actually, yeah. it's been something I've been wanting because I, I'm, right. I'm continuing to read all these books about the Holocaust. And What's a gypsy? Listen to this, since you mentioned Holocaust. A woman by the name of, I think, Dara Horn. I got I to gotta make sure I got that right. I feel bad if I don't. I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. <laughs> this is really important. I, I don't want to get her name wrong. I'm about to offer you a thought. That will fascinate you. I'll entertain yeah, in the meantime. Yeah, that's it. So it is right. American novelist, Dara Horn. Yeah. Okay. I just became acquainted with her in the last few weeks. She's a very intelligent woman, an intelligent writer. She wrote a book. And the book's title is The World Loves Dead Jews. Oh. Her th- Listen to her thesis. She's right, and it's eye-opening. She was she was reflecting on Anne Frank, the most famous Jew of the twentieth century, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And the, this young girl who was ultimately butchered by the Nazis. But she wrote her diary, the diary of Anne Frank, best-known diary, certainly of the twentieth century, maybe of any century. And. She is universally celebrated. You, you know, it's the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam, Holland, is 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 filled always with tourists of all over the world. So she made uh, she made a very interesting observation. Two of them. There was an, a Jewish employee of the Anne Frank House who was an Orthodox Jew and who wore a yarmulke, skullcap, kippah, to, to work. They told him to take it off. Why? This is her point. Hold on. He protested. They deliberated for four months. And they had no choice. They said, okay, you can wear it. That was... I. She did what I do. I look at one thing... Or two things, and I ask, is there a pattern here? Mm-hmm. Is there something to be learned? Here's the second piece of evidence from the Anne Frank house. You know, it's universal when there is different languages, like for different translations, especially in tourist sites, they have a flag. So if it's in English, there'll be a British flag. If it's in French, the French flag. You've seen this? Yes, yes. Right, okay. So 
at the Anne Frank House, you can wear earphones, get your language. Mm-hmm. So next to every single language that's listed, I think there were 15, is a flag, but not next to Hebrew. No Israeli flag. I want Anne, to say why, but... Anne Frank House. Why? Because they're living Jews. That's... People love dead Jews. Okay, that's the name of the book. Thank you. Gold dealers are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. What sets these companies apart and who can you really trust? This is Julie Hartman for AmFed Coin and Bullion, Dennis's choice for buying precious metals. When you buy precious metals, it's imperative that you buy from a trustworthy and transparent dealer that protects your best interests. So many companies use gimmicks to take advantage of inexperienced gold and silver buyers. Be cautious of brokers offering free gold and silver or brokers that want to sell you overpriced collectible coins, claiming that they appreciate more than gold and silver. What about hidden commissions and huge markups? Nick Grovich and his team at AmFed have always had Dennis's back. Nick's been in this industry for over 42 years, and he's established a reputation built on trust, transparency, and fair pricing. If you're interested in buying or selling, Call Nick and his team at AmFed Coin in Bullion, 1-800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. She's right. It was a, it's a brilliant I'm sorry, insight. I still don't understand. Okay. Israel is living. Okay. The Yamulka guy is living. Anne Frank is dead. So what, okay, but why? why Their would... world is okay celebrating dead Jews. It's very ambivalent about living Jews. Hmm. She's right. It's too contentious to put yes, an Israeli flag is the point. That, too contentious to have a guy with a yarmulke at the Anne Frank house. It's too Jewish. <laughs> this is a brilliant insight on her part. I mean, oh my gosh, this conversation could go in so many directions. But I, so as you all know. I, I went to Berlin and I've been obsessed with reading about World War II. And now that I'm down the rabbit hole, I can't get out. And I'm probably not going to get out for another decade. So just prepare yourself for more Julie conversations about the book I'm reading about the Holocaust. I recently finished Killing the SS by Bill O'Reilly, which a listener, Tom, of Dennis and Julie recommended to me. So thank you. And it's about all of these Nazis, including Dr. Joseph Mengele, the angel of death who did these horrible, horrible is an understatement, experiments on people at the concentration camps. Just just terrible. Adolf Eichmann, who basically was the architect of the final solution. Klaus Barbie. I'm forgetting his specific. Yes, Klaus Barbie was in charge of the SS in parts of France, and he was known as a major torturer of people that he caught from the French underground. That's right. It was Yes, his tie was in uh, France. Martin Bormann, who was Hitler's secretary. secretary. Anyway, all these Nazis were able to escape to Argentina, um, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Brazil. And God bless, I got to say, I mean, the state of Israel is so impressive. So basically a third of the world's Jews were exterminated in the decades leading up to the founding of Israel. Then... 
Three years after the Holocaust, in 1948, Israel becomes a country fighting off every Arab surrounding neighbor. Then they continue to have daily threats to their existence. But within the first 10 years of their becoming a country, they create this group, the Nazi hunters. And Mossad almost single-handedly flies to to Argentina and kidnaps these Nazis. I mean, the whole thing is miraculous. But my point is, I think I'm naive, and I'm working on becoming less naive in this category, I didn't realize how rampant anti-Semitism is. Sometimes we think that anti-Semitism was confined to the years of the Holocaust when it was unbelievably egregious. And then it exists, you know, in parts of the Middle East where people want to get rid of the state of Israel. Oh, my gosh. I mean, reading this book, Perón, Juan Perón of Argentina, basically like paid for Nazis to come live in Argentina because he hated Jews and he loved Hitler and he was he wanted also um, German intellectuals to come to Argentina to work in the government. But you have all these leaders. And I mean, why, why would they hate the Jews? What's their reason for for their their continents away? Why would they want to provide Nazis safe harbor? It, it really is just unbelievable. Why so well, many people hate the Jews? Dennis of Dennis and Julie, yeah, wrote a book called "Why the Jews." I know, I know. Dennis of Dennis people and Julie should did read it. it. And, and Julie I, of Dennis I, and Julie read the book. Bless her soul. It is the most enduring hatred in the history of the human race. It's not that I'm condoning you other. You know, people. you need to read now. You what know, you can read it literally in a few hours. The best book on Jews by a non-Jew is a small book called The Jewish Mystique by Ernest van den Haag, H-A-A-G. So what, I mean, I've read the book, but can you can you tell the audience, what is your two to three sentence answer for why Juan Perón, all the way in Argentina, who's probably never it, met a Jew in his it, life, it, hates it, the it, Jews? It gets beyond that. Communists call Jews capitalists. The the uh, the right wing called Jews communists. They everybody. It's the only hatred that transcends every other division. People who hate each other hated Jews. Yeah, that's true. It, so why, why the okay, Jews? Okay, well that it, it, it's there are many answers. In the final analysis, the world has bought the notion that the Jews are the chosen people and hates them for it. And I have a proof. What, what is the proof? Well, my proof is the, the, a lot of people, anti-Semites and pro-Semites, or pro-Jews, anti-Semitism has nothing to do with Semites, uh, the acknowledge that the Jews saying they're the chosen people has been a major source of hatred of Jews, to which I respond in my book and to you. That's interesting. So if somebody walked over to you on the street and said, I just want you to know God chose me, would you hate him? Or would you think he's a nut? You think he's a nut? I think, yeah. Right. Why didn't they just think the Jews are nuts? It's one of the smallest peoples on the face of the earth. They didn't even have their own land for 2,000 years. You think you're chosen? See a psychiatrist. Here And here's my proof. That they took it seriously. They didn't think it was goofy. They thought they they took it seriously. The Japanese think they get the sun before the rest of humanity. 
That's why the sun is on the Japanese flag. Do we hate the Japanese for that? Do we hate the Chinese for thinking that they're the middle of the world? That's what China means in Chinese. Middle kingdom, center of the world. A lot of people thought they're special or divinely picked or whatever. But do you think that was the anti-Semites' main problem with the Jews? Their their belief, the, the Jews it believed was, that they it, were chosen. Psychologically, yes. They didn't all affirm it. But that's related to also... The Jews succeeded, and I don't only mean financially. Family oh, they, life. Oh, it's amazing. Sobriety. It really is amazing. Education. Do you know that Against almost every Jewish woman in the Middle Ages was literate? Most men were not literate, and all Jewish women were. I mean, look what I just said a few moments ago. You know, there are very legitimate criticisms of, of Israel. However, you got to give them credit. I mean, look at, what, look at the founding in 1948. That is a miracle that they were able to do that after the Holocaust amidst miracle. all the threats. A- a- and then build this this state and have a, have the, the Arab army that invaded six nations were sure they're going to destroy this tiny. Today, Israel is the size of New Jersey. Then it was half the size of New Jersey. I know. Well, also another thing that I, I want to say because no one – Everyone talks about what Israel does wrong. No one talks about all, all the many things that Israel's done right. One of them being when Mossad, which is basically the Israeli CIA, went into Argentina to kidnap Adolf Eichmann, who was the aforementioned uh, architect, architect of the, of the final solution. And then the, basically they were they went to, to kidnap him in Argentina. It, the, the story itself is unbelievable. They had to hold him in Buenos Aires for nine days as they arranged for the Elal flight to come. And then they had to get him on the plane dressed as an Elal pilot and get him to – I mean the whole thing is – it's like a Hollywood movie. But anyway – Oh, is that how? Yeah. They dressed him as an Elal pilot? Yes. Yeah. How, how did they know he wouldn't run away? Well – a few reasons. First of all, he was strangely quite cooperative. When he was kidnapped by the Mossad agents and thrown into the back of the car, the first thing he said was, I've accepted my fate. I, I knew this was going to happen and I've accepted my fate. So he seemed oddly cooperative, even though when he was put on trial, he denied doing anything wrong. Also, well, no, he didn't. No, I didn't. He, he pled not guilty. Because he was under following orders. Yes. He, that's not the same as didn't do anything wrong. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but he, but he didn't recognize. Yeah. Well, he, he, he did was, say, "I'll jump into my grave happy that I killed six million Jews." Well, I think I think saying he was following orders is is kind of admitting he didn't do anything wrong. I had no choice. I was under this regime. I was just being barked right, at. But but I don't think he thought the Holocaust was morally wrong. Oh, of course he didn't. Okay. Of course he didn't. Anyway, the point is, they put him on this. The whole kidnapping, at least from Bill O'Reilly's book, there it seems that there was not one instance where they ever beat him. And these Mossad agents who captured this mm-hmm. guy, this guy is the – alongside Hitler, was probably the mm-hmm. most evil person to ever live, who personally murdered the Mossad agents, you know – grandparents, cousins, siblings, and they kidnapped him. Parents, yes, you're right. They didn't lay a hand on him. They fed him food, kosher food, and the night before he was to be hung, he asked for a bottle of wine and they gave it to him. Oh, 
Oh, oh, sorry. Another thing. And then the the guards that were that were guarding him, standing next to him at this trial, they made sure that the guards were not did not have any relatives that were killed in the Holocaust because they wanted to they wanted to be impartial, and they want they wanted to give off. I mean, this isn't that just unbelievable how decently they treated this this satanic figure. I'll tell you, you should pursue this. They deserve this. credit for that. Pursue, but of course they will. You want to pursue something interesting? Mm-hmm. So he had a, Eichmann had at least two sons. Oh, no, no, go ahead. What do you know about no, this? Th- well, the, one of the sons was the reason he got captured because he was dating in Buenos Aires. The Eichmann son was dating a daughter of a Jew who, who was, whose family oh, was in the that. Holocaust. Oh, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. And... I guess the father of the Jew recognized the the last Eichmann, name or something. The Eich, yes, yeah. But there was the one of the sons was the th- was the tip from the Messiah. I didn't. I did yes. not know that. Anyway, go okay, on. Okay, so do you know anything else about the two sons? There might have been a daughter. There might have been another son. I don't. But, okay. So this is this will blow your mind. If this is true, it'll blow your mind. I can't verify it. But I know I read it, because otherwise, why would it be, even be in my mind? This is something you ought to, you ought to try to find out. And I, I believe you, you have great investigative tools. <laughs> I read years ago, one of Eichmann's son loved him, and one detested him for how evil he was. And the one who detested him became an orthodox jew no way i read it i don't i can't verify it because this guy never wanted to be known as eichmann's son Mm. so it is extremely difficult to get corroborative uh, evidence and for all i know he's not living now well there was but isn't that worth looking up oh absolutely there was another woman in the book the bill o'reilly book you may you'll probably know her name knowing how much you know about this subject but she was a female guard that went after other female jews i didn't realize you think of all the nazi guards as being male but apparently there were some concentration camps well we're, the, we're in the women's part yes there, there were segregated camps that i knew but i didn't know that there were female guards in the female camps for some reason i just thought all of them were men okay go on you think of Violence is more right, easily carried out by men. Yes. But there was a woman, a German woman, who was one of the s- sadistic female oh, guards. Oh, something. Yes, exactly. And yes. she lived in San Francisco. Really? And she, yes. And she was only captured uh, or discovered in like 2006 when she was like 95. You're kidding me. No, you got to read Bill O'Reilly's book. And she married a Jew. And her Jewish husband had no idea about her background. And was she, he living when she was No, outed? she died, but then she requested to be buried next to him in a Jewish cemetery. Isn't that amazing? Truth is stranger than fiction is That's an old exactly line. right. Wow, we've we, we started with looks, yeah, it's been female differences, gypsies, college, Eichmann, and Dead Juice, the book about dead juice. This is a that's a lot. But well, that's a sign of a good conversation. A good conversation takes a so lot of tangents. This is, see, 
I'll end, or I'll come to the end of our podcast today with a thought about that. This, these subjects are what I love to talk about. Forgetting microphones, I love to talk about deep subjects. So a personal note that I suspect you can relate to. When I was your age and I was single until 32, I was looking for a wife the whole time. And I wanted, I didn't want a ton. I wanted, obviously, someone I was attracted to. Otherwise, I might as well marry a man. So that that's, that's a given. Okay. So, But I wanted someone to talk to. And I remember being on dates, and a lot of these women were really sweet. The, the, this has nothing to do with whether they're nice and kind and so on. That, obviously, I wanted to. But you'll crack up because you so know me and you so could relate. I wanted to talk on a date about good and evil. Oh, gosh. If only you knew how much I relate. <laughs> I know how much you relate. I, I have to, I have to censor myself. I have to censor myself a lot. And yes, exactly. I want to go on a date and talk about my Holocaust book I read. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You will find him one day, uh, but, okay, well, you can't do that at 23. Well, you can, but hopefully. It's pretty bleak. You'll, yeah, no, it's, it's bleak. bleak. It is bleak. It, it was bleak. And I'm not settling. That's it was the thing. Bleak. Yeah. I I, well, I, okay. So you will settle, but not on that. Right. No, of, no, no. of yeah, course. Yes. I'm not you right. know, looking for the, a unicorn. Right. Well, to a certain extent you are. That That's the point, though. When you're blessed slash cursed with being preoccupied with these ultimate issues, as I call it, on my radio show and in my original journal that I printed it's called Ultimate Issues not everybody is and and I'm not even saying this with contempt or judgment it's just a fact of life there are a lot of fine people who are not preoccupied with the Holocaust and I'm not talking as a Jew I'm talking you're not a Jew You're, you're preoccupied with good and evil just as I was I was preoccupied with communist evil. I was I was as preoccupied with communist evil as I was with the Holocaust. Yeah, I mean, you know, eighty million people is, is not a little not a little deal. Well, as Stalin would say, or was it Mao? There's no, statistic, Stalin. just so sick. One one death is a tragedy. That's the way you put it. Yes, a million, a million is, is a statistic. statistic. Well, I had someone recently say to me, and I was with one of my friends. You're so, Julie, you're so hard on guys, you know, because you go on these dates and they're nice and they're cute and whatever. And then you, you know, you don't pursue it. Like this person was saying you're too hard. And I loved my friend. She cut in. She goes, no, no, no. Julie needs someone who's really deep. She's not, she's not just willy nilly discriminatory. More than looks, more than, than um, professional success, more than anything. I just, that's what I care about. That's right. And that's and that's hard because I don't want to say I I will, you know, obviously everyone settles and so you're not going to get your perfect imaginary AI d- 
dear God, created uh, spouse. But that's one thing I won't settle on, and that's the thing that's the hardest to find. It is. Do you know that one of the first courses I gave in public courses in my life, it's still available. It's at the Prager store, uh, which I don't own, but it's called the Prager store. But it was it was an either eight or sixteen part course, and it was titled "How to Be a Better and Deeper Person." Oh gosh, I would love to watch that. You would love it. But here's the thing: I mean, it's from I think it's from the 1980s. You, when we talk about characters, you often say there are no trans characters. And you may recall one time on this podcast I said no transgender characters. <laughs> That's not what you meant. You meant you can't you can't learn how to become a character. Can you learn how to become deep? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That really? I do, that I do believe. Listen, I'll give you a good analogy because this is really <laughs> this has uh, been a, a, an ongoing question since high school for me. Can I get someone who couldn't care less about classical music to love classical music? Even if you don't love classical music, you can, you can acknowledge it's deeper music. Of course. Okay, exactly. So it's a good analogy. I know that I can't get everyone, even mature and kind and fine human beings, to, to love classical music. But I could get a third. So in, in, using that analogy, I have no doubt that getting people to think deep questions will not work for most, but will work for some. That's my analogy. That's a good point. What saddens me is that the world today penalizes you for being deep. A, because we, we, everyone succumbs to the stage one thinking. And if you dare to question, you know, the political orthodoxy, you're branded as all these things. But I'm, I'm also saying, you know, taking politics and wokeism out of it for a moment, you're kind of seen as weird if you are yeah. my age and go listen to classical that, music. You're right, seen, or, you know, right. I think some of my friends think I'm a little, I'm or, a little or, or read about the Holocaust. Yes. I, ex- well, I think some of, like, I think they think I'm a little a, odd for I the amount I was at read. a counselor at a Jewish camp, and I carried a book around, and everybody liked me. I was full of life. I mean, I was likable. They all had. I, I, I was very popular at camp. I was a counselor, and it was a Jewish camp. But I, I was, I was. I'll never forget the book, Human Behavior in the Concentration Camp. Oh gosh, and, I'd love to read that. They actually, the leadership said, Dennis. We don't care if you read it, but don't walk around with it. It, it, it depresses. It depresses people at a Jewish camp. Well, wow. And I didn't resent them for it. I'm just. I'm. I. But it obviously made an impact. Right. That I'm telling you this. Your scene is weird, and also we, especially being young, you you have all these forces that are pulling you away from depth and towards. Destru- I shouldn't say destruction. Delinquency. Well, yeah, the problem Drugs, today is, alcohol, it, bars, there are very few social deep, media. There are very few deep movies. There's very Where do you go to find music. deep people? Yeah, deep deep is out. Deep is out. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, I know I know. we're like, this happens every time. We, it takes like 30 minutes to end. But sometime I want to tell you and the audience, told you on the phone a little bit about my weekend in West Hollywood. 
Yeah, we'll do that. Bar hopping. Yes. D- 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 don't even touch yet because it, it's yeah. its own world. Yeah, yeah, yes, I, I'll get going if I touch it. it well, <laughs> listen, the appeal of depth is is greater than you think. Otherwise, uh, no, I, you're, I, people I, want it. That people that's right, crave people, it. That's right. Yeah, exactly. that I firmly believe. I think there are a lot of people who I crave have it. Never avoided depth in my radio, and it's been very popular. Yes, people crave it, but they're made to feel like they're weird that's or they're right. boring or, or they they're don't whatever. know how to approach it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully, we're we encourage so tell people. people how to get in touch with you because we love hearing from we people. love hearing from you julie at julie-hartman.com i can't respond to every email but i read each one and i so so appreciate them so please continue writing to me and forward me emails if i didn't respond so they're at the top of my inbox and dennis you have an instagram i certainly do good good improvement and it's at the dennis prager because you are the dennis prager and I'm at Julie R. Hartman because I'm not the Julie R. Hartman yet. <laughs> I need to get more established before I put in the in front I, of I my name. I get that a lot. People will uh, stop me in the street. Are you the Dennis Prager? Is that true? Oh, you mean say the? Yes. Oh, totally. So, I, Well, good. Yes, then it's an my, apt name. My, my parents named me the. Dennis is my middle name. No, your middle name's Mark and you're Denmark, which I think is cool unbelievably cool. <laughs> okay, guys. Shalom. That's See you it. soon. I know. This was great. It was great. It was Bye, so everybody. See you next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.